0: Patrick, you see, had a method of evangelism. He began a community with a small handful of converts from his previous location. And this community was founded on a system that we would call justice. Forbidding the pagan practices that devalued human life, Patrick changed the world one village at a time. My Lord, where is Maewyn today? Perhaps. He or she is in this room right now. Divorced from paganism, Patrick would use these druidical symbols and ideas to speak with the the druids, the Irish, in their native tongue. Such familiar language mixed with such unfamiliar living along with the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit enabled Patrick to be God's Tool for evangelizing Ireland. Patrick was a man who understood that the cause of Christ and the cause of bringing a new way of life were the same. He knew the truth that Amos knew new life causes new living. We're going to end our sermon today at Amos 5:24 where he says, "But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream." Obviously, Amos was big on bringing justice as part of the good news. You see, it is not enough to have fire insurance. Today I want to talk about what must change because you and I have this new life. And what is thankfully beginning to change in the church in the U.S., we are becoming more interested in justice-related concerns. We're seeing a new push for an old requirement from God that you and I live for today, expanding the Lord's kingdom rather than sitting back. And hoping for God to rescue us while we're sitting on our hands. Because new life causes new living. The first point we're going to get from our passage today is that we must not or don't wish for the day of the Lord. I'm going to read the first several verses in our passage starting in Amos chapter 5, verse 18. The Lord says through Amos, "Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It is as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It is not the day, is not the day of the Lord, darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it." My friends, the day of the Lord is not just this pleasant day where everybody has a picnic in the park. Not only will it not be pleasant, but it will be inevitable, unavoidable, unrelenting death for those who are a part of from Jesus, It will be death for those who do not know Christ or trust His promises. My point in saying this is that if you are living just hoping that God will come and will save us from a corrupt government, will save us from a plummeting economy, will save us from abysmal morality, then you are not looking at the Lord's day rightly. Because that is exactly what the Jews in Amos' day were looking at. Oh God, just save us from these stinking Assyrians. By all means, you and I should rejoice in our, our salvation. And we should rejoice sufficiently enough to let that joy that we have in our hearts to have its natural effect of overflowing to others so that they can have our joy as well. Because new life causes new living. But you see, for many, all too many, the Lord's return will not usher heaven. The Lord's return will usher hell. And if you have loved ones or neighbors who are not yet ready for the Lord's return, then you and I ought to have a tear in our eye. We ought not to be looking to usher the Lord's day Don't get me wrong, I anticipate Jesus' second coming as well, and oh God, save me from ever not resting in that blessed hope of my Savior's return. And the Lord's point in this passage through his prophet Amos is that you and I should be wanting God to stall his return so that we can bring as many with us as possible. That, my friends, is the point of so many of Jesus' parables. Perhaps, like Maewin, we should even treat those who we should treat those who treat us as slave with love. We can love them into the kingdom rather than derailing them in our hearts and in our conversations. because my friend's new life causes new living in us and through us so that others can participate in that new life as well. I want you to notice something else. The passage here in Amos, he ties very closely those who wished for the Lord's day to return. Those were the same people who were guilty of poor worship. And that brings us to our second point, which is worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pick up in verse 21. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Oh my goodness. If you're not getting the message, this is harsh language. The peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. My Lord, you and I would do very well to hear this. Because perhaps he doesn't want to listen to our music either. God told his people to stop offering his sacrifices because I want you to think just for a moment. Imagine someone wanting to get close to you, wanting to buddy up to you and, and get in your inner circle. And the reason they were doing this is just because they wanted you to do something for them. They had no desire for a real relationship. They had no desire from, for learning from you and being your friend with them. All their smiles and all their pats in the back would simply nauseate you when you learned the truth of their thoughts. God was nauseated. At the very beginning of Israel's life as a nation, he set, God set them apart. He gave them some very specific commands. In fact, the first two commands of the ten that he gave were directly related to whom they should worship and how they should do so. In Exodus 20, starting in verse 2, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty specific. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And, praise Jesus, he did not stop there. I have thought many times in my life since becoming a Christian. I am that fourth or fifth generation because none of my family are believers. And I praise God for that. And now I look to my sons and any children that my Lord gives to my children, and I see verse 6, but showing steadfast love, this marvelous chesed to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. How are they going to hear that? They are going to hear it. Because I, by God's grace, am living it. If you notice the first command, you shall have no other gods before me, concerned the fact that Israel should only worship Yahweh. That was the point. Don't worship any other gods. Worship me, he is saying. And then he gives a second command, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. And this command concerned how they should worship Yahweh. According to very specific and strict commands that governed every aspect of that worship. Now, given this, all might have been well with the Jews of Amos' day. They offered sacrifices. They played their songs and they did it to the name of Yahweh. Outwardly. Outwardly, everything was fine. Everything was good. But God was nauseated. Why? God was nauseated with their worship because they were breaking the first commandment. While with their outward actions, they were worshiping Yahweh, and they were doing all the things that they said they should, He should do in the second command. Their worship did not extend deeply enough. It did not touch their heart, their spirit. This is exactly what Jesus was referring to when he was indicating to the Samaritan woman why it was necessary, or or excuse me, what was necessary in order to worship God. When he's speaking to the woman at the well, he says in John chapter 4, verse 23, he says the hour is coming and is now here in other words right now this is the way it's got to be listen up this is very important that's what he's saying when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for god for excuse me for the father is seeking such people to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth You see, Jesus was trying to clarify to this woman that lip service from Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion, either where the Samaritans worshipped or where the Jews worshipped, lip service was going to go nowhere with God. And that's exactly what God was saying to to the Jews in Amos' day. Knock it off. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your songs. And you and I need to hear this, because if we don't understand what it means to worship God in spirit and truth, we might also be bringing the wrong sacrifices. We might also be singing songs wrongly. God, or Jesus was telling the woman from Samaritan that God required what was whole self-worship. worship That we would worship him with all of our being. Body and soul. That we would worship God in spirit. Furthermore, Jesus adds, God requires of us worship in truth as well. We need to know whom we worship. And we need to worship him as he directs us. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a confession. Pastor theologians like myself have a particular temptation that some of you might share, but perhaps not. And That is, we like to be right. We like to be right, especially about the Bible. We like to be the people who have the answers. And Jesus is speaking to men like me in this verse because he's saying that we must worship in our spirit, more than just in our minds. He makes me to understand that spirit, worship in spirit is much more important that we worship from our hearts as well as our minds. We need to worship from the bottom of who we are instead of just our minds and our lips. But there's another temptation. You can fall off the horse on the right or the left, and either way you end in the mud. There are many who cannot be bothered with theology. They don't want to know anything beyond, "Jesus saves me, this I know." And Jesus is speaking to those people as well. Jesus answers that we must worship in truth, and this makes us to understand that it is not enough to have a superficial knowledge. If God is to be the best our best friend in the universe, why is Pastor Benji spending so much time looking at the Trinity? It's because God has revealed Himself to us, and we must we are never gonna comprehend him. We will never comprehend God. But we can understand what He has revealed to us, and that we must do because new life causes new living. Probably most of you in this room have heard me pray before a worship service something like this. And I say, Lord, let us worship today as we sing. Let us worship today as we pray. Let us worship as we return a portion of what you have given us. And let us worship as we hear and obey your word so that we may become the men and women that you created us to be. I do that on purpose. I do it because I want to remind you and me that that is what true worship does. It molds us. It moves us. It equips us. It chips away the hard, sharp parts and makes us to be more like Jesus Christ. And we worship in all these ways and many other throughout the week. Because when you and I humble ourselves before God with all our being, and when you and I humble ourselves to take time and energy to know Him, more than whatever other hobby or pastime we have, our lives will be different. We will have this new life that causes new living. And my friends, you never know. You never know. God is very powerful. You may be like mewin Suket. You may become the kind of person that goes out of your way to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, not only to Ireland, because... It needs it again. But you may be able to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have mistreated you. To those who have harmed you. To those who have spoken poorly of you. Who have, char- who have significantly harmed your chances of happiness in this world. I cannot think of a more accurate way for human beings to mirror the love of God. And you and I, to us, I say, go Patrick, go Patricia, because God can make you do that. God can work through you to move in that way. Because new life from the Holy Spirit given to us at regeneration causes a new way of living so that the people who are around us can look at us and say, that person has something different about them. I need to find out what it is. They go through all the same struggles that I go through but there's something else that I don't have. My friends, that is what we need. And this kind of living will enable us to be where I began and that is in Amos chapter 5 verse 24 where God in response to the people who were worshiping poorly and because they were worshiping poorly they were wishing poorly for things, He says the, 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 the solution to this is, but let justice roll down like waters and let righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Here is God's answer to poor wishing caused by poor worship. He says fight for justice. Make justice something that is happening around you wherever you are. Ask yourself questions like, how could God allow such injustice like is happening in Sudan? How could God allow such injustice as is happening in Israel? How could God allow such injustice that is happening in every city center in the United States in a dark surgical room? How could God allow such injustice on your block, perhaps even in your home? And the answer, if you are listening, the answer that will come back loud and clear is it is because God's children, to whom he has given the power and the responsibility to combat injustice, have not done it. Do you want to worship rightly? Fight injustice. Do you want to wish for the right things? Fight injustice. And Amos is not the only one who has said this. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Amen. We put our faith in him. We look to him to give us his promises. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Let the people around you see your faithfulness to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make God your pleasure, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Do as He has directed you to do. Trust in Him, and you know what? You won't have to be afraid. Why? Because He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the new day. Do you want to be a man or a woman who is known for justice? Trust in the Lord. He will bring it about. Here's an idea. Pay attention for a day or so and write down some of the injustices that are around you. My goodness, it is not hard to do in this climate. Write down some of the injustices around you in Santa Maria and around the world. And then pray. Take your list and pray about them. Ask God to show you which of these are particularly bothersome to him. Guess what? He will tell you. And if you're finding a hard time doing this, here's another idea. Go to uh, FocusOnTheFamily.com and go to their social issues page. And there you'll see there's about five videos on... um, on the bottom down there, and you, they'll, they'll talk about these different issues and why they are significant social justice issues in our nation and around the world. And you can pray about many things that need your time, many things that need your prayers, many things that need your money towards solving them, towards bringing about Justice that rolls down like water and righteousness that flows like an ever-flowing stream. We are evangelicals in this church. and I, I was wondering, so I went on the NAE website, National Association of Evangelicals, and they believe that there are about 30 million evangelical Christians in the U.S. Let's, let's not count all the other people who count themselves as Christian. We're just talking about us. We're just talking about born-again believers. There should be about 30 million of us here. The average income in the United States is about $50,000. By the way, for almost everybody in this room, you have always seen the national income average going up. In the last four years, it has been going the opposite. We won't be talking about that, though. The average, if the average income in the U.S. is $50,000, then we have 30 million Christians. 10% of that would be about $5,000. You multiply those numbers, you get $15 billion. If the Christians, the evangelical Christians in the United States, tied their income, there would be about $15 billion. What would happen to the planet To the entire world, if American evangelicals, I'm not talking about South Koreans, I'm not talking about Brazilians, I'm not talking about people in other countries, if American evangelicals decided to make a difference in justice in the world. And don't for a second think to yourself, well, I need to give to my church, otherwise my church will go go bankrupt. By the way, don't want that to happen because I don't want to lose my job. But if we all gave 10% just of our income, $15 billion towards solving the injustice issues of the world, what would happen to the planet if American evangelicals decided to start making a difference in praying for the world and the specific justice issues that are involved? John Stuart Mill said, Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends, to achieve their ends, than that good men should look on and do nothing. When the day of the Lord comes, you do not want to be sitting on your hands. You want to be the faithful servant whose master finds working so that he can say to us, Well done don't be those who look on and do nothing don't think that God can take care of you if your faith don't think that God can't take care of you if your faith becomes risky for the sake of his kingdom oh yes your God is greater than any economy your God is greater than any president or any United Nations or any war or any government takeover your God is stronger than all of that he can take care of you and you need and I need to remember that that new life causes new living. So if that's true, if this is what the prophet Amos is teaching us, not only for his, the Jews of his day, but for the American evangelicals for today, my next question would then be, how do you be a good Jesus freak? How many of you guys ever heard that phrase used in a pejorative way? It's, it's a used to put Christians down. Uh, That was the way I think it was used in the early 70s. But Jesus Freak, for those of us in my generation, has become a badge of honor. I have been called a Jesus Freak, but they didn't understand how I thought of it. But there is a sense. There is a way that Christians sometimes act, especially if they get excited about these issues, that can be put off-ish in a wrong way. There is a sense in which Christians do not take seriously the rules of engagement. We forget what it means to have a relationship with people. We forget what it means to have a conversation with something about what is most important. So I left blanks on your outline. I want to give us three rules of this kind of engagement so that we can be a good Jesus freak. And The first rule is absolutizing the temporal absolutizing. Here's a fancy word for you. It's very popular in today's culture to be a huge fan of something. You run into somebody and they are a huge Dodger fan. They're a huge Giants fan. They're a huge Raiders fan. They're a huge you name it. And often these people who are absolutizing their sports team will say very offensive things to people around you because they think that some other team is better. Ladies, you're not free from this. We also find blogs and websites, and tens of millions of dollars are spent on talking about whatever the most recent soap opera is that's caught the public imagination. You know what I'm talking about. One way of describing this tendency is calling it absolutizing the temporal. We are making something that is temporal, something that is really not very important in the big scheme of things, and making it the most important thing around. You can go and in the uh, mortuary here in town and buy a casket that has the black and silver of the raiders on it. Imagine that. When Don and I, five years ago, were looking for a house to buy, there was one that had a mosaic tile in the front room that had a great big Raider sign. Yep. We didn't buy that house. <laughs> now, unfortunately, we also find Christians in both of these categories, as well as Christians who absolutized whatever their pet doctrine is of the end times, or a style of worship, or a particular interpretation of a passage. Yes, pastors have their own set of temptations as well. But your neighbors and your co-workers will recognize this folly of this and will label you a Jesus freak in the sense that you don't want to be. And the answer to this particular problem is to read Scripture in community. Maybe we should have a sermon that has that as its main point. We need to read Scripture in community of both those now living and and those who have gone before us. Because when we do, when we're reading Scripture like this humbly and with other believers surrounding us, we will be much less likely to go some weirdly wrong way. So the second way that we can become good Jesus freaks is not to have an uncritical zeal. Some of you may have noticed before the election of last November on Facebook, I officially disavowed my religious right membership card. If that offends you, I'm sorry that it offends you. But we must also know that the Democrats will not save us. Neither will the Republicans will surprise some of you to hear me say this. Neither will your guns. In fact, only Christ will save you. Only Jesus will save you from or through whatever trials are going to come in your life. And you don't even know what those are. Because when I look at my own heart, all the things that I have been most terrified up to now, most of them never even came true. So I wasted all that time and energy worrying about it. You, my friends, we have nothing to fear because we have Jesus. Remember that. When you absolutize a person or a party or a movement, then you will have what's called uncritical zeal. You won't take the time and energy to find out actually what is going on and be willing to criticize what must be criticized and to praise what is praiseworthy. The solution to this is to hold all human conventions at arm length. Because you and I need to understand that even Billy Graham, even Mother Teresa, even Pastor Benji, yes, even Pastor Benji has his faults and is not Jesus Christ. Did you all know that? Understand that we are not perfect and neither worship us as demigods nor demonize us as someone less than human because that is what makes us the kinds of Jesus freaks that we don't want to be. And lastly, this one's positive we need to understand Christ. Finally, we must actually take Christ as His word. When the Bible says he was humble, you and I must exercise humility. When the Bible says that God is patient, we must be patient with those around us. When God commands us to love, we must actually live in such a way that people see us not envying or boasting or being arrogant or rude, not insisting on our own way, not being irritable or resentful. Really? If we would only do this we would be living the new life that people would recognize as fundamentally different than the way of the world and they would very likely repent. New life from Christ causes new living. Patrick is known as the apostle of Ireland. He is the primary patron saint of the island but not the only. He shares the honor with saints Brigid and Columba, no, I didn't look up anything about them. And apparently, Patrick died on March 17, 492. There you go, you learned a new piece of trivia. Much of what we have known about Maywin Suket comes from various hagiographies, and a hagiography is simply a biography that is written to make a person look holy so they can be sainted. Of course, it is true, as my boys reminded me this afternoon, that the Catholic Church never canonized Patrick. They never gave him the official title of saint. Fortunately for you and me, St. Paul did. He gave us reason to call Patrick a saint because that is the title that all true believers have. That is the title that all of us who are now trusting the promises of God for us in Christ Are. And I think that that is one more reason why we can now go and live the kind of life that Patrick lived. The way that you and I know that Patrick was a true believer is that he sacrificed everything to bring peace and justice and the kingdom way to people who had enslaved him. Surely... Since we have the same God and we have lesser struggles to overcome, we too can be the people who bring Jesus Christ to a world that sorely needs it because new life causes new living. Lord Almighty, I pray that we would be the men and women that you have created us to be. Lord, we recognize we don't need to be St. Patrick because he's not us. But Lord, we can trust you to guide us in the direction that you would have us. Give us courage, give us wisdom, and give us generosity, so that we can be the part, the the body of Christ that makes you visible in Santa Maria and around the world. We love you, Jesus. Amen.